0: So, so, we're we're changing up. We're we're still in our in our in our series, uh, Project Hope, but we're changing up the media a little bit, and uh, I'm I'm kind of introducing you to one of my new favorite television shows. Anybody else ever watching the show Life Below Zero? Yeah, I know it's so soothing right now because of the temperature. That, that's that's outside. So I kind of stumbled on this not too long ago, just kind of flipping through the channels, and and uh, it kind of piqued my interest that there was someone with a gun and there was a bear, and I thought I have to watch this, right? Or I will lose my man card. And so so I'm I'm watching the show, and so now I'm just sucked in. We're it's we DVR it, we're recording it, and uh, in one of the episodes that we saw recently, I'm just I'm intrigued by what they're eating up there, right? It's absolutely fright for me roughing it just. So, you know, for me, roughing it is Motel 6 instead of Marriott. That's about that's about as hard as life gets for me. I even I th- I got I kid you not I would not survive in a setting like this. I wouldn't. I got I kid, this is a true story. I got a cramp tonight in my shoulder trying to put my wireless mic on. Right? I would not make it 45 minutes in this place where they're living. Where they're living. And so so I was watching one of the episodes and there was the there was this guy which you're gonna see him in ju- in just a minute. He's in one of the slides. He had this this white block in his hand which looked like cheese and. He had a knife, and he was shaving it off, and he was eating it. And then the statement he made was, huh, one-year-old moose fat can get stale. Yeah, I know. So then I, I kind of threw up a little bit, right, because I the. <laughs> eats right just moose fat so so then he takes it he shaves it off and he puts it in a little dish and he and he melts it down he soaks it in a wick and then so he uses it for light but then as he's talking and telling his story some of the oil off to the side congeals and sure you know what he does he takes his finger I know eats a little bit more and he says edible fuel I'm not interested in edible fuel Can, can I just say that I like bread pudding with caramel sauce and vanilla ice cream and I don't want to light my house with it. I, I I want what's in my bowl to be what's in my bowl and what okay, you get you get the point. So this same guy, it gets worse. This same guy. So he's talking about what they eat. He's got this, you know it's going to be good, because it has two huge boulders, and he pulls out this bone that looks like it belongs to a dinosaur. It's ginormous. He lays it across. He takes a bigger rock. He drops it. This huge bone splits in half. He picks up half of the bone, and he sticks his finger inside and pulls out the gelatinous marrow. And yeah, I know. Some of you are throwing up right now. Washers, we need some mops, maybe some buckets. Uh, it just, uh, so I know, so now like it's, I can't turn away. I have to keep watching this show, watching the show. But as I'm watching the show, one of the things I, I thought about is what a great image for what we're talking about because when you're in a place of despair, where you're in a place where you feel like you don't have any more hope, your, your heart turns cold. When, when, when you get in a place where you feel like that your heart has lost its ability to have hope, it feels desolate. You can feel alone in the world. And so for the, at least the rest of December, we're going to be using images from this show to kind of connect because I think it just relates to us so well in where we are. Hebrews 6, 18 through 19 says, so God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Pastor Jamie's been preaching on this verse in Williamsburg. He talked about that not too long ago here at this campus. An amazing message and a few messages. You can get that on our podcast. This Hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain and into God's inner sanctuary. We've been saying through this whole series, we're not talking to you about a hope that is an emotion. We're talking about, to you about a hope that is a virtue. Emotion is situation, circumstance, dependent. Your emotions change as your circumstances and your situation change. Virtue is supposed to hold constant no matter what your circumstances are around you. We're talking about the virtue of hope. If you have not experienced in life an opportunity to feel deep disappointment, then you have never been in a circumstance in a situation where you've had the opportunity to experience the virtue of hope. Hope says that even though my circumstance says that God is a liar, I know that Hebrews six says that he is not and that he's gonna keep his promise to me even when it seems as though it's impossible. Faith, hope, and love so if you were here last week, you know that we're getting into First Thessalonians a little bit, especially verses 1 through 3. And we did some introductory remarks last week to kind of set up what we're going to be talking about tonight. And again, if you weren't here, you can get that off the podcast. We're going to be getting the notes online soon. But faith, hope, and love. There is an interdependence. There is a causal relationship that exists between these three. If I want to have all of them operating in my life, I need each of them operating in my life. Now, you know we talk about 24 virtues here at City Life that represents the character of Christ. These three are part of those virtues, but these three have a very special and unique relationship with each other. We know that. and We're not going to go to all of these tonight, but if you're one of our note takers, this is here for you. Those are the four references in the the New Testament where we see faith, hope, and love mentioned together. The reason they're mentioned together is because there is an interdependence. There is a causal relationship that exists between them. If I want to move in biblical love, I need to have hope and faith operating in my life. If I want to be a person of faith, I can't do that unless hope and love are a part of who I am. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1, right? That faith is the substance of things, Hoped for. All throughout Scripture, we find this interdependence. We find this causal relationship that exists between these three. 1 Thessalonians 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13 gets all the attention, but this is the first mention of it. This is the first time that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Puts these three words together as one thought. Now, as Pastor Joe Jansen was here preaching a couple of weekends ago as part of our marriage retreat, remember he talked about this idea of the law of first mention in Scripture. That when something is mentioned for the first time in Scripture, it becomes foundational in our understanding other texts that are similar throughout. And so here we have the first time the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to put these three words together I, Paul, and Sylvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. So you know from last week, Paul's on a second missionary journey. He's stopped in the city of Corinth. He's there for about a year or so and here he writes his very first letter and it's the letter to the church of Thessalonica. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind, here it comes, your work of faith, and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. I want to read that part again. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ and so we've been following the word hope throughout the Bible as this series wherever it takes us and when I got to here several weeks ago I really felt like God spoke to me and said, hey you're supposed to camp here and preach a little bit out of the book of Thessalonians and so that's how we've gotten to be where we are here in this series and as I was studying one day as I was reading especially these verses and doing some research and really praying through them, this is what I felt this is Mr. Moosefat by the way right here if you were wondering what he Looked like? That's him right there. Prepare or perish. They've got some great one-liners, don't they? This is what I felt like God spoke to my heart. Your expectation of having an endurance that is inspired by hope requires a work produced by faith and a labor that is prompted by love. Your expectation of having an endurance, this is based on verse 3, that is inspired by hope requires a work produced by faith and a labor that is prompted by love. Now, I think that you could move all three of these parts around in any order that you want and it's still going to be a true statement because of the interplay, because of the causal relationship, because of the interdependence that exists between faith, hope and love. We could say that my expectation of having a labor that is prompted by love requires me having an endurance that is inspired by faith and a work produced by faith. You with I can move those things around and it's still true. I'm giving it to you in this order and I think God spoke to me in this order because this is the series that we're in. We're in a series on hope. And so tonight we're going to spend some time talking about what is a work produced by faith and what is a labor that is prompted by love because you might be here tonight and you have a hope problem but you really don't have a hope problem. What you have is a work produced by faith and a labor prompted by love problem. Because if those two things are not operating in your life, then you've not created an environment in your life where hope can thrive. Sometimes we focus on the problem, and God's saying, Hey, stop focusing on the problem. You've got to change the environment of your life. You've got to change the condition. You've got to change the setting. If you would do that, then this thing that you're missing, it'll just begin to flourish, it'll just begin to thrive. I keep wanting to prepare or perish. We should just keep throwing that in, right, every so often. For the people that fall asleep, it'll just wake them right up. All right. Air gone. Sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Can we just, like, commercial break here? There are some great movies that are getting ready to come out. I'm excited. You know, I'm a movie guy, right? I love film. I'm all about movies. So we've got the American Sniper, the Chris Kyle story. Just so you know, we're going to be getting a group of guys together in December to go after church. So you should be paying attention for that. So I know. And if you don't come, again, we're going to take away your man card. So, so there's that. There's American Sniper. There's the, the, uh, the third, uh, not the third, but the, the hundredth uh, in the Lord of the Rings series, right, is coming out. I think Hunger Games, right? Is this how you do it? Hunger Games. I know. Yeah, see, there you go. I know. See? You got to stay current with these young adults, right? All right. Okay. I'm trying. I've been practicing that all day. All day practicing. All right. Aragon. Carries and emphasis. I don't Who was that whistling? Was that Nate again? Nate the whistler? All right, okay, I like it, I like it. Carries an emphasis on the work performed, meaning the end product, not so much the Effort exerted. See, when we read, we have to be careful when we read the Bible because we read it with an understanding of our language, but the Bible was written in an ancient language, so sometimes we've got to dig a little bit deeper. And so when you read this idea of work of faith, you might think of effort, but this word is not about effort. This word is about what's being built. It's about the end result it's not about the effort exerted it's about the it's about the 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 end product or the goal that you've established this thing that's supposed to be finished if you've ever been a part of building a house before there's a lot of labor that goes into building the house but that's not what air is ergon is the house that is built once all the effort has been done does that make sense it's the finished product it's the finished product James 2, 14 through 26. Again, I'm not going to read that for the sake of time tonight, but if you're a note taker, you can spend some time with that. This idea of work and faith, the interplay that exists between work and faith, it's not new for us. James talks about this extensively in his book, and so what we begin to find is this pairing of working and faith. It's not just what Paul said. We've got the Holy Spirit, right, as the same author of all of Scripture, just writing it through different people, and so we see it also. The Holy Spirit inspires James to make sure we're understanding that this idea of work and faith, they, they. they go together, and so when Vanessa and I, some of you have heard this story before, uh, before we came here in October of 2007, so we just celebrated our, our seventh anniversary here as part of City Life Church, and we were, uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I like that these people sit in the front, right? It's so good. <laughs> so good. They, so, so in, in, Before that, Mechanics for Christian Center with the church that we came from, I had been there for 17 years. All of my Christian life had been in this particular church. And so when God began to speak to our heart about making a move, it was a big decision for us. It took us a whole year to kind of just embrace this idea of what God was asking of us. And so before we knew that God was asking us to come here, we would visit City Life when it was still meeting in the movie theater over the Regal Cinemas over off off of Victory Boulevard. And when I would get a vacation, oftentimes we would leave early on Sunday morning from Mechanicsville, Virginia, where we lived, and we would come here and we'd have church with you. And we would come into that movie. There'd be about 75 or so people. People are sweating, right? Because everything is set up teardown. I mean, you're converting a movie theater into a church service, nursery, kid space, foyer, everything, worship. It's just all set up and tear down. People are working hard. And Vanessa and I would leave there, I kid you not. We would leave that service, get in our car, heading to the Outer Banks, and we would look at each other and say, thank God we don't have to do that. I know, right? And little did we know, right, a year from now that we were gonna be in there and sweating. And So I'm sharing that with you because that's not what this word means. That that does not mean the effort. It does not mean the labor. It means that which has been created. There is a church here now, Ergon, what's been built because of all of that labor that's been happening over the last nine years. This church that we so love right now, this church that we so celebrate right now, now that's Two campuses, more than three times the size as it was then, more than twice the revenue that we have available to us to go out and do the work of the Lord in the world that he's calling us to. Right? There is something that has been built. There is something that has been created. It did not get here on its own. It's because people have worked and labored, but because also people had a dream and a vision for something that was being built. And we're in it right now because we're dreaming big dreams for what's to come. And we're gonna be talking about that at our anniversary service at the end of January. If the result I seek does not require faith, then my dream is too small. Let me say that again. If the result I seek does not require faith, then my dream is too small and my hope will not endure. Remember what we're talking about tonight is that hope is at stake. We're called to be a people of hope. And what Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica, one of the things that he's saying is, hey, if you've got a hope problem, it might be because you've never attached your life to a dream and a vision that's so big it's gonna take faith to see it through. When I was praying about coming here, I reached out to somebody that I respected, somebody that was connected to our church, and I shared about, we had a few different options that were available to us, and this, this was the hardest one, right? This was the one that was gonna require the most faith, and, 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 and this is what he said to me. He said, Fred, he said, if there's no opportunity for failure, there's no room for God. If there's no opportunity for failure, there's no room, and I, in that minute, in that moment, I knew, in that moment, I knew we were coming here because we wanted to give our lives to a work that was gonna require faith. So many of us, we're willing to give ourselves to a work that's within our reach, something that we can see that can be accomplished, something that we can say with the skill sets that I have and the training and the education that I carry and the resources that are available to me, I'm gonna go do this because that seems attainable. And that might be a good decision when you're talking about careers and other things, but when it comes to a kingdom work, that cannot be how we make decisions. When it comes to a kingdom work, we've gotta say, God, what is it that you're asking me to do? And if what we're hearing from him is not beyond us, beyond our resources, beyond our natural ability, then it is not a work of faith. Right now, we're praying about this 2020 vision that we're gonna be talking to you about at the end of January. And one of the prayers amongst our leadership team that has been recurring is, God, protect us from dreaming too small. Not because we just want to do something big to feel good about ourselves, because we have a calling to be a beacon of hope in the world, and we will not be the beacon of hope that we're supposed to be in the world unless we have a work that we give ourselves to that necessitates faith. Kapos, kapos, carries an emphasis on an extraordinary effort, expended not so much on the result created. I love the language of the Bible. And when I look at phrases like a work of faith and a labor of love, something goes off inside of me that says, why why that, right? I was that kid, just so you know, questioning, right? That kid. You might have a child like that in your home. Be, Be careful that you don't snuff out the curiosity of your child's heart, right? So, so, there's a part of me, well, why, why isn't it a, why, why, why doesn't he flip those around? Why isn't labor a, a, attached to, to, why isn't love attached to work, and why isn't faith attached to labor? Why is that? And so, as I begin to study and begin to dig into these words, it's just fascinating what you find. This word kapos carries an emphasis on an extraordinary effort, and I think after you heard what we just said, and what we're going to talk about now, you're going to go, of course that's why it's connected that way. Kapos. Kapos can also mean to simply bother someone. None of us have ever done that before. It can mean a beating. It can mean beating your chest in sorrow. And whatever it, whenever it is used to describe effort in regards to physical labor, like putting on your cordless mic before the service, it assumes toil and trouble. So this word has lots of application in the Greek language in ancient times when the Bible was being written. This word, kapos, it just meant trouble. It meant toil. It meant it was gonna be hard. It meant that it was going to be laborious. And so I got to thinking about, I bet a lot of us in this room have had terrible jobs before. Are you with me? We like, come on, we haven't done a participation moment in a long time here. So we've not forgotten about them. So, So you raise your hand, I'll point to you. What's one of the worst jobs that you have ever had? See, Kevin's hand is already up. You worked for your mother at Chick-fil-A, as in your mother was your boss. Yeah. yeah. that's worse than her being your substitute teacher in elementary school. I know. It just, I know. McDonald's. McDonald's. Uh, AT&T customer service. AT&T customer service. You're pointing your hand, yeah? Sprint retention center. See, I know you guys are just resonating with what I'm talking about tonight, Tom. Watching, wa- watching or washing? Ooh, washing storage units at the safe place. Yes, George. Spraying insulation, Sally. I'm itching just thinking about that, George. I've got a scratch. So, deli manager at the fresh market. Unless you got free food, then I don't know. That might be pretty good for me. I'm just saying, Jen. Yes, your spouse's worst job because he's not in here. So, no, oh, he is in the back. So be careful. He's standing right there. All right. Okay, shoveling elephant dung as a first job. Right? I know. If you if you can't beat that we should just stop right now, right? Anybody else got something worse than that? I know. Uh, uh, Jenna. See, we Jenna's going to try. Digging graves with my father when I was younger. Okay, she got him. She takes it home. Digging graves with her father when she was young. That's terrible, Jenna. I know. We should pray over you right now just to set you free from that. I know You've had bad jobs, right? you've, you've had jobs, I've had jobs, right? There's, we experience in this life the curse that happened in Genesis. We know there's toil, there's trouble, there's work that sometimes we find ourselves doing and we're going, why, why am I doing this? That's the emotion that I want you to connect with because that's what this word means and that's the word that the Holy Spirit inspire, inspires Paul to use when he talks about a labor of love. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, I'm gonna read these to you, is only possible because of 1 Corinthians 16, 24. 2 Corinthians 6. I'm gonna start reading in verse four. And everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. It sounds a lot like Kapos, doesn't it? We have been beaten, we've been put into prison, we've faced angry mobs, we've worked to exhaustion, we've endured sleepless nights and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us and our sincere love. There's a reason, that's a part of the text. We faithfully preach the truth, God's power is working In us, we use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are Poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, yet we have everything. You could just underline all of that in your Bible and write it right across the top of it, kapos. It's only possible because in Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, he ends it this way. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. If you don't love the people you're working for your energy will fail. See, it's not about being physically strong, praise God for me, right? It's not about having the best stature or the most endurance. This idea of a Kingdom work, the ergon, is gonna require kapos, it's gonna require effort, it's gonna require labor. And if what motivates us and drives us is not love for the people we are working with and love for the people that we're working for, we will run out of strength. It's why we see so many people abandoning Paul on these missionary journeys that he's on is because they just don't love as deep as Paul loves. Paul gets through to the end. Jesus goes all the way through to the end, not because God gave him supernatural strength, but because he moved in supernatural love. Kapos. If the effort I give is not motivated by love, then my energy will fail and my hope will not endure. If you have a hope problem tonight, it might have nothing to do with hope. It could have everything to do with a work of faith and a labor of love. Now you might say, well, Fred, I'm not sure I'm called to be a great initiator or to create something or, or build something or to to, to, to to take something from scratch that doesn't exist. That's okay, because not everybody's called to lead in the same way. Not every everybody's called to participate in the same way. That's the beauty of 1 Corinthians 12. That's the beauty of Romans 12 and Ephesians four. We all have a different role that we're supposed to play. There are some people that God raises up to be the visionary, like an Apostle Paul. There's some people that God raises up to create the vision but all of us are called to be a part of a work. All of us are called to be a part of a kingdom work. All of us are called, if we're not the generator of the vision, God has created us to be a part of a vision, and then what we've got to do is go in this world as devoted followers of Christ and say, God, what is the vision that you want my life to be attached to? And then you bring your faith. We all bring our faith together, and we have some sense of call to the work and to each other. That work has to be bigger enough to require faith and the labor that we bring day in and day out is motivated by love as you look around this room if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time i hope that your heart is overflowing with love for other people It's one of the reasons why we talk so much about relationship. Don't be a casual tender. It's one of the reasons why we talk about life groups and getting involved in ministries and going on these mission trips. Relationship is one of our 12 pathways that we talk about here at City Life as part of our discipleship model. But one of the reasons why relationship is so important is because relationship makes love possible in your heart for people, and it is so vital because there are gonna be days where you're tired, There's gonna be days where you feel like, I just, I don't have anything to give. And in that moment, you get to say, but you know what? I don't need to have the physical strength to change one more diaper in the nursery, right? Because I love this child's mother and father. And because I know that they're in that room right now, and it might be that they're experiencing something of God that's gonna change their life forever. When you begin to live like that, when you begin to look for a strength that's based on that kind of love, I'm telling you we will rush in through the gates of glory one day together. We might be a little tired, we might be a little charred, but our spirit inside of us is going to be celebrating like we were dancing and celebrating tonight because we've loved the people that we're working for and love the people we're working with. The larguria. I did not make that word up. I know. And it's not anything that anybody brought back with them from the mission strip to the Dominican Republic. Uh, One of the greatest impediments to a person's ergon and kapos is their telargueria. I'm going to tell you what that word means in just a minute. 1 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. See, who can do church in an hour? I'm just saying, right? 60 minutes. Not us. All right. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to, to people everywhere and even beyond Macedonia. And Ahia. for everywhere we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. This is powerful, isn't it? Because at some point, there was no church in Thessalonica. There was nothing there until Paul got there, motivated by love, having a dream for a work that required faith to believe that it could be possible. And here we are, just, to, just not too long, about a year or so after, here we've got, they're, they're known throughout the world because of the church and the work that's happening there. We don't need to tell them about it, for they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us, and here it is, how you turned away from idols. We just blow past sometimes phrases like this in Scripture, and there's so much meat on the bone there waiting for us. You gave us, and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and the true God. Acts 19, 23 through 26. Again, I'm not going to go there, but that's there if you're a note taker, if you want to check this out. This is the story of Paul and his third missionary journey, and they're preaching in this town, and all of a sudden, there's a person there, a silversmith. He's upset. He's mad. He's angry because his livelihood is dependent upon selling these little idols as they make for Artemis, the God that they worship. And so he rallies the city together, and he says, hey, we got to get Paul out of this town because our whole economy." Economic well-being is dependent upon this business of worshiping Artemis, and, and he's telling everybody that idolatry is bad and they should worship the one true God. And so you can read the story yourself there in Acts 19, but it was quite the riot, quite the upheaval. See, see, this word phalargua, we find it in 1 Timothy 6:10. Philanguria is one word, but it's translated to us as a phrase, and it's the love of money. So 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And that word there, that phrase there, for the love of money is philoguria in the Greek. And so what we find here is what we, what, we, what we see in Acts chapter 19 is that there was a work that was supposed to be done in that city, but the first barrier, the first impediment to the creation of that church were the people that were there saying, Christianity is gonna cost us something. 16 out of 38 parables deal with money, of Jesus' parables. One of every 12 New Testament verses address money. 500 verses on prayer in the Bible, less than 500 verses on faith, over 2,000 verses on money and stewardship. Now, I'm not talking to you about giving to the church. I'm talking to you about something much bigger than that. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, there has got to be a willingness that we say, God, all that I have belongs to you. What do you want me to do with your stuff? There has got to be... There has got to be something inside of me that says, God, even though I know it might cost me something, this this journey as a devoted follower of Christ, even though I know it's gonna turn my life upside down, and it's gonna turn my finances upside down, do you have a lot to say about how my money should be used, and how my money should be spent, just like it was 2,000 years ago in the city where Paul was, and so many people, they pull back from Christianity because they don't like the idea of what it's gonna do to their money. And I think it breaks God's heart. I think so many people have never run after the work that they were called to be a part of because they were too busy doing something over here that had no eternal significance. Giving yourself to a kingdom work, it might affect your career. If, if your career plan requires that you're given 100 hours a week to your work and your family is suffering and you've got no kingdom work on your radar, I'm just telling you, you're giving your life to something that's empty. I'm not saying quit your job. I'm not saying be unfaithful in your responsibilities. I'm saying you've got to prayerfully engage a conversation with God to say, how can I dial back this so that now I can be faithful to that? But doing temporary things, that's part of this journey. I, I get that. We all understand that. Unless it's digging graves with your father as a child. That's just wrong, Jenna. It's bad. Right. I, I, I'm not abdicating that we just all go out and quit, and, and we don't do anything that's temporal. Right? Doing temporal things is part of this, this existence that God created for us. What I'm saying is, if that's all you're living for, if that's all you're living for, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Listen to this verse in Second Timothy. Come on, this might prick some hearts. Second Timothy 3, 1-15. through 15. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. I think it starts there because if that's our problem, then a lot of these things are going to follow. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly stay away from people like that. If you have a hope problem tonight, it might not have anything to do with hope. It might be because you're just reluctant to give yourself to a work of faith and a labor of love. And it could be that the reason why you are so reluctant is because you're clenching tightly everything that you have materially because you know deep down inside, God might ask you to use those things in a different way. But what I am saying to you, whatever joy, whatever pleasure, what what, what whatever sense of fulfillment you have from those things that, that you've got. It is nothing compared to the fulfillment that could rise up inside of your heart. If you would just give your heart fully to God, trust that he always has your best interest at heart, and even if he asks you to begin to make different decisions with those material resources that have been entrusted to you, if it is for a work that builds his kingdom that's gonna require faith and ask you to have some energy over here that's motivated by love for the labor that it's gonna take for that work that has to be built, I'm telling telling you you will smile in a way on the inside that you've never smiled before So just last week, you know, we do Faith Promise. We're going to be doing it every year, and just as a brief uh, introduction for people that haven't been here at the beginning of every year, we're going to be talking to the church about a faith promise That's you pray, God gives you a number, and you believe by faith that He's going to provide it. You don't know where it's going to come from, and you make a promise that when He gives that money to you, that you're going to give it to the Faith Promise Initiative, and that's how we do missions and advance some other areas of the church, and so I'll be excited at the end of the year to talk about how that finished out with us. But just this past week, our Faith Promise story hasn't come to fruition yet and so hey come on the year's not over yet so just last week I got this email from a couple in the church that said hey our faith promise we've got our faith promise story so they talked about how the wife she has a job and the boss at her job said hey we've got some outdated video conferencing equipment that we're going to sell if you'll do the work of selling it I'll give you a percentage of the sale she said all right sounds good to me Gonna put that thing on eBay, take pictures and put it all out there, And, and they're thinking to themselves, well, this could be our faith promise, right? And so so they do all that, nothing. Months go by, nothing. Over the summer, they get an inquiry. Somebody offers them something far less than what they should take, but they think we've not gotten any other offers. Then the person says, and you've got to pay for the shipping. And once they realize what the person was going to pay and what the shipping was going to cost, there was really no money in it at all, so they had to say no. And so, right, it's been out there almost a year. So this fall, this fall, the boss calls this wife into the office and says, hey, what's going on with the video conferencing equipment? So she explains with the shipping and all that, and so this is what the boss says. The boss says, hey, I tell you what. If you sell it, You just keep whatever. You just keep it all. You just keep it all. See? Sometimes you're waiting because God is wearing somebody out so you get more. Can can we just say that? I'm telling you, there were people that were scrolling through eBay and angels were blocking the picture and maybe, right? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because as soon as the boss said that, it was just like within a few weeks, they got a full price offer on this outdated video conferencing equipment. And even once they subtracted the shipping, it paid their whole faith promise and money extra just for them. I know. (laughs) I know. It's Whenever you step into moments like that, whenever I step into moments like that, there's going to be this thought. Here it comes. I could keep this for myself. I could keep, I could keep this for myself. You could, you could. But then you could also say, God, this is yours. It's not mine. And sometimes you know what God says? Sometimes God says, you keep that for yourself. But let that be his decision. And there might be times where he says, Hey, you have a work of faith that you're called to. There's a labor of love that you've given yourself to to see that work of faith come to fruition put that money there. Put it there. So Steve Rogerio gave me this book recently. He reads about 500 books a month. <clears throat> it's explores. It's so good. If you're a reader and you like exploration, you've got to check this out. The author talks about the the, 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 the attributes, the virtues in a person's life that made them so special, made them so unique. And one of them, guess what? It is, it's hope. I think it's seven, is it seven different things he lists? Hope is one. And he has this incredible thing that he says in this book, but I'm gonna read you in just a minute. It says, hey, hope and optimism, they are not the same thing. I, I tweeted earlier, earlier today that, that, that indifference masquerades itself in your life as optimism. At the, at the end of the service, I'm, I'm going I'm to slip out really quick because I got a call from my mom that my dad's at the end, and if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you, you've been keeping track of that story with me, and he has advanced stage Parkinson's, and he's just, you know, really hasn't known who we are for at least a year, if not longer, and so, I mean, his quality of life is, just, is completely gone, and just, so my prayer this whole year is, God, just take him home, come on, just take him home, take him home. His brother died last month. I was joking with Warren earlier. I said, I think what happened is Uncle Joe got to heaven and said, Paul, what are you doing down there? This is awesome up here. All right, come on. What are you doing down there? Yeah. So I'm going to slip out. So if, if, if you want to pray with someone, Pastor Jamie's going to be. I'm going to be up to close the service in just a few more minutes, and Pastor Justin will be here. There's always people off to the side, but I'm going to slip out. But I'm sharing that with you because I thought my dad, he's always been this amazing person of hope. N- not optimism. He's been a person of hope. Listen listen to what the writer says here. Listen to what the writer says. But in fact, hope and optimism are two, two very different things. Hope begins with a dream and turns that dream into a goal and mentally comes up with a solution to see that dream come true. Optimism, on the other hand, is merely a belief that everything's going to be okay. There's no plan or attention to detail that will make this sentiment a reality. People with hope tend to have a powerful belief that they control their destiny. That's not a Christian book, so I'm gonna edit him a little bit, and this is what I would say as it means to us. We have a powerful belief that God is in control of our destiny, but that we have a responsibility to do our part. We have a responsibility to do our part. We believe that God is in control of our destiny, but he looks to us like he looked to Paul and said, hey, come on, you've got to to labor to see this work come to fruition. Some of you, this is for some of you, I'm telling you tonight, your marriage is in trouble, and you're just saying, it's just all gonna work out. It's all gonna work out. That's optimism, and for you, it might even be indifference. You've got to do something about it. God's gotta do his part, yes, but you have got to do your part. You've gotta ask for help. You might have to go to counseling. You might have to, you've got to labor for this work. I hope the dream that you have for your marriage is a work that's gonna take faith, that it's gonna be bigger and better than you can ever hope that it could be, but there is some labor that needs to be done. For some of you in your finances, you're just walking through life going, oh, it's just gonna work itself out. It is not just gonna work itself out. You gotta do your part. Don't let indifference masquerade in your life as optimism. Be a person of hope, and hope demands action. Hope says to you, and hope says to me, God is in control of my destiny, but God, what would you have? What's my part? You might have children that are in trouble. You might have relationships in your family that are estranged and you're just walking through life saying, oh, it's just gonna work itself out. It is not just going to work itself out. You've gotta begin to ask God, God, what is the part that I'm supposed to play? And if you don't know what part you're supposed to play, pick up the phone. I'm telling you, the leadership of this church, we're easy to get a hold of. Easy to get a hold of. Call us, contact us. Email us. Reach out to us. Are we perfect? Do we drop the ball? Sure we do. And in those moments, we have a responsibility to say we're sorry. And I've had to say I'm sorry to some of you. But that's not the character and the culture of this church. What characterizes this church is we say we are a leadership that is available. Don't, this is because this is what the devil's going to say to you. They're too busy. They don't have time. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe that lie. It will not just work itself out. We've got to be willing to do our part. Get invite the worship team to come back up. We're going to just close with a song, and I'm going to close up, come up after that song with a prayer. If we're going to be a church that is known for an endurance inspired by hope, then we must have a work that is produced by faith and a labor that's prompted by love. Let me share that with you again. If we're going to be a church that is known for an endurance inspired by hope, then we must have a work that is produced by faith and a labor that is prompted by love. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this place of worship together this evening, we know, God, that there are some people here by divine appointment that as they look into their life, they have a hard time finding hope. And my prayer for them tonight, Father, is that they're going to hear your voice. That maybe something that we've talked about tonight is going to speak to them in a very deep and profound way. That it might be, God, it's because there's no work that they've given themselves to that's about building the kingdom that requires faith. Or maybe, God, they see that work that maybe they feel called to be a part of, but they're just not willing to put forth the labor that's necessary, God. For them, I would say, let them fall in love with some people. In this church, whatever church they call home, Let love abound in their heart. Let love abound in their heart. Father, we want to be a church that is a beacon of hope in our world. Let it be. Let it be, God, that we would not dream too small and that we would never grow weary because of the love that we share for one another. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.